Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The How Do You Like Me Now? Now that I'm on my way. Edition as the Bengals wrap up the regular season and get ready for a home playoff game as they face the Browns in Cleveland. Coming up, I'll talk to one of the stars of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, Kyle Brandt, who recently said that the Bengals could be the next big thing in the NFL. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the decision to rest Joe Burrow this week, and Lapp shares his thoughts on resting as many starters as possible. My one-on-one player interview this week is with Isaiah Prince, who will be the Bengals' right tackle in the playoffs now that Riley Reef is officially out for the rest of the year. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll take an in-depth look at what's gone wrong for the Browns with longtime Cleveland sports writer Tony Grossi. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since a victory cigar. Former Boston Celtics coach Red Auerbach is credited with starting the tradition. During the Celtics dynasty years, when they won 9 out of 10 championships, he would light up a cigar on the bench. Imagine that, once the Celtics had a game locked up. I enjoyed taking a few puffs of a victory cigar in front of Touchdown Jesus when UC won at Notre Dame this year, and I loved seeing the footage of Joe Burrow and his teammates enjoying victory cigars in the locker room last week after wrapping up the AFC North. Joe famously enjoyed one after leading LSU to the national championship, and here's hoping that there's a Super Bowl victory cigar in Joey Franchise's future. Now, let's get to my guests, beginning with one of the hosts of what I consider to be the best NFL studio show on TV. If you want to be the richest person in the world, there are two ways to pull it off. Number one, discover the cure for baldness. Or number two, bottle the chemistry of the crew on Good Morning Football. And one of the stars of the show joins us now, Kyle Brandt. Kyle, it is great to have you on. What did the Bengals show you with their win over the Chiefs last week? Dan, I'm thrilled to be on. And first of all, I I wish I could have provided that other means to being the richest man in the world to you. I'm sorry, all due respect. (laughs) I wish I could be there for you. I really do. All I can do is, is the Good Morning Football alleged chemistry that you hype so thank you and um listen to join you right now is it's it's an incredible time it's like going to santa claus's house on christmas eve this is like as good as it gets right now it's unbelievable i remember when i was in my um i was in my early 20s i was a younger man in california and man the chiefs were all that the chiefs were so cool and they were dominating everybody and they were perfect and this bengals wide receiver who not a lot of people knew yet came out and said, I, I guarantee we're going to beat the Chiefs. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. Sure enough, Chad was right. They did beat the Chiefs that day. And uh, here we are in the wake of yet another Bengals win over a really good, almost omnipotent seeming Chiefs team. And it's absolutely pure electricity. Uh, my thoughts for that game were there was a time the Bengals had a nice little run this year where they were the most fun to watch team in the league or the most exciting team in the league, which is fine. Those are cool titles to be held for sure. They went from that to being 
Oh my gosh, never mind the watchability or the excitement. They are actually a really, really good team. Never mind watching them. I don't think you want to play the Bengals. And we saw that happen right in front of us. It was exhilarating. It was really cool. I wrote, I wrote down something you said earlier this week that was similar to that. And here's the quote. There is an intoxication with Cincinnati. There's a feeling of, oh my gosh, this is the next big thing. Describe why you think the Bengals might be the next big thing. Well, I could point out the obvious things. I could point out the young talents and the quarterback and the way that they improved this defense so much and the players they added. But I'll tell you why. Because here I sit, Dan, and I'm in, you know, suburban New York, outside of Manhattan. I have an eight-year-old son. My son, Calvin, has spent almost all his life here in New York. And, you know, we just had Christmas. And Calvin has suddenly realized that there's some boys at school, maybe the older boys, who wear jerseys to school. And he wants to get some jerseys. So I said, all right, listen, we got lots of options, son. This is an important choice. You know, it's a long commitment. It's a reflection of you. And like, who and I, he says, who should I get? Who should I get? So, you know, we talked about, well, listen, you can't go wrong with Tom Brady, but you're a wildly different generation. There's a lot of, you know, there's Josh Allen and there's Mahomes and there's, there's Lamar Jackson and everything. Well, I'm thrilled to tell you, Dan, that <laughs> on Christmas Eve at our home, Santa Claus came to the Brandt house and he brought this. Nice. And it was waiting at, at the bottom of the stairs on Christmas morning for my eight-year-old. So you want to talk about the next big thing? A kid born in uh, 2013, living in, in outside in the suburb, suburbs of New York, wants a Bengals jersey with his pick from the whole NFL. This is the one he wants. This is the one Santa Claus brought. If that doesn't say next big thing, I don't know what does. That is awesome. Calvin is the sharpest dress kid at his school. There's no question about it. We're talking to Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football. You do a podcast, 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt. I am looking forward to the point where Joe Burrow is your guest. I'm sure that's coming at some point down the road. What has Joe Burrow done, aside from uh, inspire your son, for the Bengals franchise? Oh, man, so much. And bear in mind that my son is wearing that jersey at a school, which is mostly New York Giants fans. Those poor kids showing up in Saquon and Daniel Jones jerseys. <laughs> Calvin's walking down the hallway with his orange tiger stripe thing. So he's certainly inspired them. But, um, you know, some of the comparisons now for Burrow, they're getting to the stratosphere. I I'm starting to see, you know, the word Rogers, the word Brady thrown around. Here's, here's what he's done. We have a, a nonstop stream now in this golden age of offense and quarterbacks of this is the next great one. This is the next this. This is the next this. And there's all of them. And they are really some great young talents. Burrow seems to have transcended them. And I really mean that. Now, listen, he hasn't accomplished the playoff wins. He hasn't done anything. But what he's done in my mind is he has come off in this way of like, wow, that guy's cool. Wow, that guy's going to be a future. It's not just all the throws downfield to the receivers or to Uzama or any of them. The way this dude conducts himself after the game, after the loss or after the win, his pulse does not bounce. He can uh, easily um, stunt on someone or brag or he can get angry afterwards. I have been so impressed with the way he speaks to the media, the way he talks about the media, even more so than throw for 500 yards. And first person story, I'll tell you one right here. This is when I knew Joe Burrow was going to work. Uh, back in the early stages of quarantine and now how we're all used to people doing shows at home and having the home cams like I'm on now, it was a totally foreign concept when we first talked to Joe Burrow. He was coming out of the draft. 
He was out of LSU. We thought he was going to be number one pick. He's supposed to come on Good Morning Football, Dan. And we have him, you know, let's say we have him at the 1030s mark, and he shows up at 1029, and he's ready, and he's ready to talk about everything he wants to accomplish. We, for the life of us, could not make this work technically. The audio <laughs> wouldn't connect. Uh, the visual was wrong. He could hear us. We could, couldn't hear him, then vice versa. This went on for what seemed like an hour. And Burrow just sat there and just said, sure, I'll try this. Does this work? Does this work? I can say it again, testing one, two, three for the millionth time. Now, this is the guy who's going to be the number one pick in the draft. This is a national champion, celebrated. I know uh, nine out of ten other players were like, oops, sorry, closed the laptop, couldn't make it happen. He sat there in traffic. It he would still be sitting there if we asked him to. He was unbelievably courteous, unbelievably hospitable, even as a guest, and just he didn't get nervous and he didn't get flustered. And we all laughed afterwards. Nate and Peter and Kay and myself were like, well, this guy's going to win the AFC North. He, he sat there for an hour with us having technical issues and didn't even bat an eye. And it said something about him. And to this day, I will never forget it. And I think you see that type of demeanor on the field. If you can handle that, you can handle the Ravens blitz. There's no question about it. <laughs> All right, Kyle, let's go back to this year's draft. I was Team Sewell. I thought the Bengals should have fortified the offensive line. I'm happy to have been wrong. You said uh, going into the draft, you can either fix the stairs or you can buy an 80-inch TV. They got the 80-inch TV and Jamar Chase, and I really like an 80-inch TV. What do you think? It's beautiful. It's <laughs> ultra high def. You can, oh my gosh, you can play video games on it. If you ever watch the Masters on it, you'll feel like you're at there at Augusta. And that was a true story, Dan. And I'm flattered that you dug that up. Last spring, we had, we, my wife and I decided we have a certain amount of money and we can do sort of like a spring cleanup. And these steps outside our front steps, uh, front door rather, they're kind of stone and to have them fixed, you need to hire a mason, which is very expensive you need to pay for the materials. And it's a very practical thing. I mean, it's gonna make your house better, safer. It's gonna make you feel more comfortable. That was the left tackle pick. And that was the practical pick, of course, protect Burrow. But oh my gosh, if you take that money and what if we just live with the steps? What if we just trust that they'll be okay and we spend it on that TV? And I'm like, I, I think, you know what? I want the TV. My, my head says the steps, but my heart and my eyes say the TV. Can you imagine right now? Listen, Penny Sewell may, may, be, may have become, you know, Anthony Munoz. We don't know. We'll never know. But I know this, Dan. I'm sitting on the set of GMFB today, and Chris Carter, of all people, who's in the Burleson seat this week, is talking about Jamar. And he says, now listen, I was there in Minnesota when Randy was there. I saw Randy have three catches for three touchdowns against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. He didn't draft him. I was there. He said, Jamar Chase is better as a rookie than Randy Moss was. And we said, oh, hold on. We love Jamar. We all, we're all getting caught up in the hype. He's better than Moss was? You were in the same huddle, Chris. He says, better, more diverse, uh, more flushed out skill set. He said, Randy was Randy. He had about four routes. He could run really fast. Jamar can do everything. I'm saying this right now as the guy who was there as a Hall of Famer, that Jamar Chase as a rookie is better than Randy Moss was as a rookie. I think the 80-inch TV was the right choice. <laughs> I heard Chris Carter say that, and I had the same reaction. I'm like, wow, if that's coming from a guy who was Randy Moss's teammate when he had 17 touchdowns catches as a rookie, that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, let's assess the AFC as we get set for postseason play. Who's the top team in your opinion, and where do the Bengals stack up? 
close. They stack up close. The, the Chiefs win. If they beat Kansas City in a quote-unquote shootout, you think they can beat anybody. To answer your question, I think right now, I actually think the best team is the Bills. Hmm. And they don't have the best record, and I don't know if they have the best roster. If you follow the AFC really closely, everybody remembers the night against New England when Mac Jones threw three passes and the Bills had this weird loss. Then they follow it up going to Tampa, and they're just getting routed in the first half. I, th I think they went to the locker room. It was 24-3 to at the half, and Brady was just destroying them. From that moment on, the Bills have been unbelievable. They, the second half of that game, Allen was the best player on the field. They were the best team. They almost went. They lost in overtime. Come back, beat the Patriots soundly. And I just think like this Josh Allen thing has gone nuclear since then. And so, listen, so have several other quarterbacks. But I've been watching the Bills a lot. They've been up and downs they've been through. I think right now they're the team I don't want to play. But, I mean, it, it is razor thin because you got these new rock stars and the Bengals. The Chiefs were still the Chiefs. And I think we all agree. I don't know, Dan, if you do, I don't want to speak for you. But if the Bengals did not punch in that touchdown, if they would have played it conservatively at the end of that game, I think the Chiefs are coming back to win. Mahomes is still Mahomes. And the funny about the AFC playoffs right now, and I promise I'll finish with this, is we can have a whole talk about how good these teams are and how good these quarterbacks are and not even mention the team that's sitting in the one seed, which is the Titans, who have the 2,000-yard rusher coming back. The AFC playoffs are going to be wild. I still have the Bills slightly number one. And I would say the Bengals are right there in that two, three, four. How could they not be? All right, last thing for Kyle Brandt. Kay Adams was here a few weeks ago as the ruler of the jungle. Are you jealous? And would you like to be the ruler of the jungle at some point? <laughs> um, I wasn't jealous until I saw the, I, I guess it's a throne that she was sitting on. It seemed to be some sort of... Um, uh, Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones right. meets the Cincinnati, Ohio type stone throne, which looked really cool that I wish I could have like in my basement. Um, listen, the, unfortunately, I think that I didn't I didn't get in on the stock of the Bengals when it was really low. I, I, at this point, you could have uh, heads of state probably lining up to be the Bengals ruler of the jungle because they're that good and that hot. I have never been to a Cincinnati Bengals game. I have never done all the trappings of the skyline, chili, and all that. Of course I would love to. I would absolutely love to. But I, like I said, it's like a long line at the deli counter now. Like, get a number. We will happily give you a number and look forward to uh, having you here in Cincinnati eventually as the ruler of the jungle. Kyle, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. Keep up the awesome work. Yeah, I'm very happy for you and everyone in any way involved with the Bengals organization. This is a great league when there's ups and downs. And right now, the Bengals being up is the coolest story in football right now. And uh, I hope the story continues for several more weeks for you guys, man. If and when Kyle comes to town to be the ruler of the jungle, here's hoping young Calvin comes with him rocking that Joe Burrow jersey. The Bengals quarterback isn't going to play this Sunday. Zach Taylor made that announcement on Wednesday, so Cincinnati will be trying to win in Cleveland with Brandon Allen at quarterback. And Joe Burrow is hardly the only starter who is expected to miss the game. I discuss that and more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap Zach Taylor announced that Joe Burrow is going to sit out Sunday's game in Cleveland. I'm pretty sure that other key players probably will sit out too, although he did not give any other names. Is this a no-brainer in your opinion or a tough call? Uh, it's pretty much a no-brainer. I mean, I, I, I think they're going to treat it like a bye. I think very few guys are going to play. I think guys may have backup roles, emergency roles, but I think he's going to try to rest every single starter he possibly can and um, 
you know, I feel like they feel like they earned it, earned the opportunity to do that and get everybody healthy and everybody rested and ready to go against whoever that first-round opponent may be. And, and they, I think they feel good about, you know, going up there with the players that are going to be playing. They'll be motivated and, and going up there and trying to put forth a good performance and show that they belong in the National Football League and belong with the Cincinnati Bengals. And um, a big part of what a coach's job is uh, from a, a uh, perspective of job employment is developing young players. So see how, how well these young guys have developed, see if they can make some plays, get some things done, and win a football game. Joe Burrow's been on this incredible roll over the last couple of games, and you asked him the question on Wednesday, any hesitation to stop playing when you're rolling the way that you're rolling? Yeah, you know, I asked about the momentum part of it, and um, is he worried at all about that? And he said no, that, that he feels like he'll get all the throws that he needs to get in during the week of practice and maybe have a competitive two-minute drill type situation um, to stay sharp. And, and uh, Zach Taylor feels the same way, that he can get, you know, every throw that he needs to get, every rep that he needs to get with his players during the week of practice. And uh, both of them feel like they've practiced so well, he's practiced so well, and they've practiced so well as a team that that's the reason that they're on the roll that they're on. You know, it carries over into game day, and um, they feel like the only thing that will be missing is that is that final game day deal where, You've worked hard all week to get ready for game day, but now you won't actually play and be exposed to injury. And But all the preparation leading up to game day will all be the same. So they feel like um, you know, they, they're getting the best of both worlds as such. Joe Burrow has been incredibly impressive really from day one, but the last two weeks have been mind-boggling. 971 yards, eight touchdown passes, no interceptions. This might be the best two-game stretch that any quarterback has ever had in NFL history. Is there anything about this stretch where you say, you know, I knew the guy was great, but I didn't know he could do that? I'll tell you, he, he the, the clinic that he and Jamar Chase put on it, it was just amazing. I mean, Chase goes for 266, and Joe goes for well into the 400s again. Um, but they, they were so on the money in terms of Joe putting the ball exactly where it had to be put and Jamar Chase fighting for that football no matter what was going to make a play on it. The, the two of them played just about a perfect game. I mean, it was incredible to watch them because, honestly, I mean, Jamar Chase had a couple of opportunities where he got separation, but I'd say a good balance of the 11 catches that he had were difficult. I mean, he had to jockey for position, bump somebody, nudge somebody, use his physicality at the high point of the route, you know, get a last-minute uh, body position advantage. And he's, he's capable of doing that. He's so darn strong. And particularly when both T. Higgins and, and Jamar Chase, when they leave the ground like a strong rebounder in the air at the high point when he's rebounding a basketball is so strong, that's what those guys are, you know, when they're high point in the football. So all of that was just unbelievable to watch. And, um, boy, yeah, Joe, I think Joe's, I, I felt like he was accurate, but the last two games, it's, it's been, like, ludicrously accurate, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. 
to complete over 70% of your passes in a 16-game season, basically, which he'll, he'll have. He's not going to play against Cleveland. That's, that's incredible. Kenny Anderson holds a record, 70.55. But it was in a nine-game season, a strike-shortened season. So literally almost half the games. And uh, for Joe to complete the percentage that he's completed, for the yards that he's completed, and that's the thing, too, is uh, his, his, uh, his deep ball numbers are – you know, so far off the charts compared to everybody was concerned about that in the early stages of his career. Now he's got 13 plays of over 40 yards, second best in the league. 55 of over 20 yards, fourth best in the league. That That's an area where he's gone light years up a ladder as well. It's incredible to watch. I'm glad you brought up those numbers because the first time that Joe talked to reporters this spring coming back from his knee surgery, he said one of his goals was to improve his deep ball, and obviously he's done that. I've read comments from unnamed scouts from other teams that have said, well, the only negative with Burrow, as good as he is, that he's close to his ceiling. But if he picks that out as the thing he wants to improve upon and makes this quantum leap like he's made this year, it makes me wonder what he's going to target in the future as the thing that he wants to get better on and how much better he'll get. And I'm glad that scout said that because he feeds off that stuff. All you have to do is throw shade out there, throw any doubt about Joe Burrow and his talents. And Michael Jordan was the all-time best at it, you know, using it to just motivate him to, like, an ionosphere in terms of, you know, focus and uh, adrenaline and all that. And that, that's what Joe Burrow does. You know, Joe Burrow's like, his biggest motivation is to prove doubters wrong. And that's what a lot of great players are all about. And he fits that, uh, fits that category for sure, I mean. I'm, I'm glad. I, I hope people continue to doubt him. Um, you know, he might be close to a ceiling. If so, I'll take it. It's a pretty damn good ceiling, in my opinion. I'll take what I saw the last couple of weeks all day, every day. The last two weeks were the Sistine Chapel of ceilings. Yeah. Uh, he was that impressive. Let's turn to the offensive line. Zach Taylor said on Wednesday that Riley Reef is officially out for the rest of the year. We know that Quentin Spain is going to at least miss this game. I don't know about his status for the first playoff game. So right now the starting offensive line includes Akeem Adeniji, Isaiah Prince, and Jackson Carmen. For all intents and purposes, based on their playing experience, that's three rookies that are going to be starting on the offensive line for a playoff team. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, for this game against Cleveland, would not shock me if Fred Johnson's at one tackle, Deontay Smith's at a guard, Trey Hill's at a guard, Jackson Carmen's at the other guard, and Isaiah Prince is at the tackle position. Um, but the thing that you have to, if you're, particularly if you're Jackson Carmen, you have to say to yourself, this is an opportunity. I mean, um, you know, you played over 40 snaps last week, and you're going to play a lot more than that hopefully this week. And now it's time to show that, you know, you're ready. It, it, it should be a flip of the coin. It should be, you know, if, if, if Jackson Carmen doesn't start, when he comes off the bench, it's like no change in level of play whatsoever. He has to start showing people, particularly his, his line coach, Frank Pollock, and the offensive coaches and Zach Taylor, that he is playing at that level. Um, and and that's, that's basically what... Adenogy did to, to be, when he got his opportunity, he showed himself and he, he earned a, earned the spot. That, that's what it's all about. So 
some of these guys, I mean, they're in a situation where all you can all you can ask for in the National Football League is a chance to play, and they're they're going to get it. They're going to get it in this game against the Cleveland Browns it, at the tackle position. If if uh, if Clowney and Garrett both play, those young tackles can step up and show Coach Pollock, I'm ready, I'm here, I belong, and that 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 is exactly what you're you're hoping for and you're looking for. So they are young, they are inexperienced, um, and obviously that's the biggest question mark. It's going to be interesting to see not only in the draft, but what kind of free agency offensive linemen will they be able to sign? I think they're going to attract quality players. I think Riley Reef was just the beginning of that door being open. I mean, Joe Burrow, the way he's playing, the way the offense is built, if I'm an offensive lineman and I'm out there, Cincinnati's got to be on my list. All the skilled people they have? Are you kidding me? If, if I feel like I'm an offensive lineman that can go to that group and make a major difference and improve the, the entire group up front, I'm thinking about that big time. All right, so let's talk about Sunday's game in Cleveland. The Bengals clearly are going to have starters sitting out, most notably Joe Burrow. The Browns had a highly disappointing season. Baker Mayfield is not going to play in the game. He has opted to go ahead and have surgery to that left shoulder that's given him so much trouble. What do you expect to see on Sunday? That's a great question. You know, I, I, I'm looking at last, last week's flip card, and, I mean, I'm looking to see a bunch of guys getting reps that hadn't got many reps. I, I think I think Rennell Wren and Daniels could be inside. Wyatt Ray, Spence on the uh, on the edge. Tyler Shelvin is going to get some look. Clay Johnston, Keandre Jones, Calitro. Marcus Bailey, I think, is going to have to play. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting on the back end. Vernon Hargraves. I think Trey Waynes, if he's able to, he needs snaps. I mean, he may be the most veteran player with the best resume that may be getting snaps out there because he needs them. I, I, I think if he's able to go, he should go. Um, Michael Thomas, Ricardo Allen, will he get some snaps? It, it's going to be very interesting. Then um, on the offensive side of things, Trent Irwin is, is obviously going to get snaps. Drew Sample, uh, Wilcox, they, they brought Scotty Washington off COVID to the practice squad. Tight end, he'll probably get it. What about Puka? What if they bring Puka up there and give him some snaps? Uh, Taylor, um, it's, it's, you know, Brandon Allen obviously get snaps at quarterback. Are they going to sit Joe totally and have Jake Browning up as a, as a possibility? I mean, uh, Travion Williams at the running back position. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting day. And then Cleveland, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at them, particularly their offensive line and Treader. The center has got a, a chronic knee problem. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they sit him. Um, again, how much will Miles Garrett and, and, and Clowney play? How much will Denzel Ward play? How much will these really good players play? It, Jarvis Landry, a uh, veteran player like him. Nick Chubb, they didn't play Nick Chubb uh, in the game against the Steelers as much as I thought they would. So, I mean, what's going on there? It is a total big question mark as to what, what's going to happen. I'm glad, I'm glad we do have rosters and programs because you can't tell a player without a program for this one. It'll be like the preseason opener. Yeah, it, it will. It'll be almost more like a, you know, like a, like a preseason encounter with guys trying to make 
uh, major impressions, you know, and uh, and saving guys for the opener, which is the opener of the playoffs. For much more on Sunday's game, tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday afternoon from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530 or on the iHeartMedia app by searching for ESPN 1530. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now, time for this week's one-on-one player interview as I visit with one of the Bengals' least-known starters, 24-year-old right tackle Isaiah Prince. Isaiah, to me, you are one of the unsung heroes on this team, taking over for the injured Riley Reef at right tackle. You had only played four NFL games prior to this season. Can you describe what it means to you to be the starting right tackle on a playoff team? Right now, it means a lot. My main focus is, you know, doing what I've been doing, just how can I be of service to the team and and playing my part. And uh, I I love the team, I love the players, I love the coaches, and uh, I just try to do the best I can for, for the guys here. It's your first year working with offensive line coach Frank Pollock. What do you think of Frank, and has he made a difference for you? Uh, I think Frank definitely has made a difference for me. I think that he is a great coach, but I think great coaches also have to be teachers, and I think Frank is a great teacher in getting us to understand what he wants us to do, and I think that that, that's also very important. And I, I have a lot of respect for Frank, somebody who's played the game, and yeah, I think I've grown a lot as a player with him as my coach. We're chatting with Isaiah Prince. For those who don't know, you are a former Buckeye. You were a three-year starter at Ohio State and a team captain at OSU. And you played in a lot of big games, obviously. How does that prepare you for what's at stake now? Yeah, I definitely got a chance and the opportunity to play in a lot of big games coming from the school that I came from, the Ohio State. Uh, I'd say it's definitely given me um, a bit of a confidence, you know, that everything's going to be okay. You know, you just keep chopping away, even in big games, you know, things happen, they make plays, we make plays, but the main thing is to remain the same. I think that's the main thing I got coming from school, playing in those big games is up and down when you're playing against the good teams. You are from the Washington DC area and you are a member of Ohio state's 2015 recruiting class. Another person in that class was a quarterback from Athens, Ohio, that people have heard of by the name of Joe Burrow. What did you think of your fellow freshman at the time? I've always been good friends with Joe. That's that's kind of my bro. Um, we came in together at Ohio State. Uh, we was on the same floor in the dorm room. I remember moving into the dorms. Joe was one of the first people I met. Um, we've been good friends ever since. Um, even when he transferred to LSU, I, I stayed in contact. I always text him. Um, and I, I think honestly, it's like so surreal that we're, we're playing together right now. It's like, it's crazy. I always thought, Joe was a great quarterback. I always knew he was capable of what he does. Now, I think we've seen it every day in practice when he was in school. Well, let's fast forward to what he's done the last couple of weeks because you've been one of the guys protecting him during arguably the best back-to-back performances that any quarterback has ever had. 971 yards, eight touchdowns, no picks. Describe what he is doing for this team right now. I think Joe gives everybody a, a level of confidence. I think when you see your quarterback take the field and plays with that that confidence, that swagger, that toughness, I think I think that gets everybody fired up. And I think that's just the type of person Joe is. He's a great leader and uh, 
I think we all love playing with him. How do you like the watches he gave his offensive lineman? <laughs> no, I thought it was a great gift. Uh, appreciate it, Joe. <laughs> Have you been wearing it, or is it uh, more of a trophy? I wore it one time uh, to a game right after he gave it to us, uh, but pretty much I'm probably going to tuck it away as a trophy. I appreciate it. We are chatting with Isaiah Prince. Isaiah, last year you were one of hundreds of NFL and college players who chose to opt out during the pandemic. How did you spend your season, and was it difficult for you not to be around teammates and coaches? I think opting out last year was probably one of the toughest uh, times I faced in my life so far. Um, but during the time, like like I know throughout life, is to remain resilient. So in that time being, I went back to school and uh, I finished my degree. I got my bachelor's. And uh, I did some boxing. I worked out every day on my football craft. I, I just did what I can to stay in the right direction and just stay ready. You have tremendous reach. You probably would be a good boxer with your <laughs> with your wingspan. Do you I enjoy, do you enjoy uh, training that way? Yeah, I do. It was a uh, it was different. It was my first time doing it. Uh, different type of cardio, and uh, I think it got my hands right a little better for the season. Uh, I appreciate it. So, Isaiah, you originally drafted by Miami, and then the Dolphins tried to move you from the active roster to the practice squad when you were a rookie, and the Bengals swooped in and, and claimed you off waivers. What was your reaction at the time, and how do you feel about how everything has worked out? I would say definitely these past two years have probably been one of the toughest years of my life, uh, you know, being released from the Dolphins and, you know, getting to the Bengals and opting out. But... You know, I never imagined it would work out this way, you know, getting the opportunity to play again. But th th that was the whole purpose of the whole offseason and staying resilient and keep working, uh, you know, staying faithful. And uh, I'm honestly just so grateful that and thank God that everything worked out. So you've started the last two games and three out of the last five. The Bengals have wrapped up the AFC North. You know, you've got at least one home playoff game to look forward to. Describe the confidence level of the team right now coming off that big win over Kansas City. Uh, right now, we're we just focused on taking it one week at a time, you know, just focusing on, on what we have coming up this week and, you know, just doing what we have to do to, to stay healthy, stay, you know, and stay ready for whatever. As I said at the beginning, I think you've been one of the unsung heroes on the team. Continued success. Appreciate your time today and best of luck against Cleveland. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Finally, time for this week's Know the Foe segment. The Cleveland Browns won a playoff game last year. This year, they'll finish with a losing record. They're 7-9 and nine with one game to go. Baker Mayfield, who ranks 27th in the league in passer rating, won't play on Sunday. Instead, it will be veteran Case Keenum at quarterback. Earlier this week, Lapp talked to longtime Cleveland sports writer Tony Grossi on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Obviously, Baker Mayfield had physical ailments and issues all season long. Aside from Baker Mayfield, what do you think are the biggest reasons for the Cleveland Browns not living up to the expectations and the hype? First of all, that's a big aside there. I think that was the biggest reason. Their offense was just totally not up to par, and they had chances in five different games to uh, win games with the ball in their hands at the end, and they came up short uh, all five. Uh, any one of those or maybe two would have would have won the division or at least set up a, a big 18th, uh, 17th game against Cincinnati. 
the game in Cincinnati was probably the only game all year that the Browns played complimentary football. They had a great wow. game defensively and a very good game offensively. And that was it. That I mean, they, they had a, a, a handful of good offensive games, um, a lot of good defensive games, but that Cincinnati Bengals game uh, was the only game they put it all together. And we expected that they expected that to happen a lot more than one game. So in a broad scope, I think that that was the biggest problem. But, uh, again, the offense, uh, and it was primarily the quarterback, you know, he had the ball in his hands and, and, and chances to win five different games. That is amazing. I mean, you look at the, uh, the three-game losing streak uh, that, the, that the Browns are currently in, two-point loss to Las Vegas, two-point loss to Green Bay, at Green Bay. Yep. And uh, Baker obviously is, is seriously injured. When, when, when do you think they'll schedule the surgery, Tony, and, and what's the prognosis, and, and what do you think the future holds between Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns? Yeah. Um, he'll probably, uh, they're, they're planning as soon as possible. Um, this is a torn labrum in his left shoulder, wow. which, uh, you know, what he played through, uh, he first suffered it in week two and then re-injured it in week six and only missed one game that was on a short week, a Thursday night game. Um, uh, it's supposed to be a four-month rehab, which takes him into April. By then, though, the Browns have to make a decision. Uh, you know, the transaction season begins in March, and if they're going to pursue or at least look into uh, upgrading the quarterback position, uh, you know, Baker will still be rehabbing at that time. Uh, he is under contract in his fifth-year option in 2022 for $18.8 million. Um, they never delivered an offer for a, uh extension. Uh, I know the Baker-Mayfield side uh, in the middle of the summer expected it to happen after last year, and it never happened. The Browns held off, and it, it looks like they were smart in doing that because Baker really uh, regressed in the second year of the Stefanski offense. Uh, we thought it would be the opposite. We thought he would be much better uh, in the second year. It's the first time, <clears throat> first time he returned to a completely, uh, the, the completely same offense, same coaches, same teammates on offense, and, and the production nosedived. Um, I think uh, I think his future is uncertain. That's the best I could say it. I I I could see them bringing him back. I could see them trying to get better, but I don't. Uh, you know, they have to make sure that they're they're getting better. I don't think they're at a situation where they say we got you know we got to move on regardless. It's not that, but I do think they will investigate the options to get better. And by that, I I I mean a veteran quarterback who can win now with the team they have. Nick Chubb. Everybody was kind of puzzled with the lack of uh, rushing attempts for Nick Chubb against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is he okay physically, and do you expect him to, to get a lot of carries on Sunday against the Bengals? Yeah, we were all puzzled at that, too. So were the Mannings, I guess, if you were watching the Manning cast right. Uh, right. Uh, in Pittsburgh. And really, you could extend that into the Green Bay game the week before when they got to the 50-yard line with a minute to go and then threw three straight passes. The last one was an interception and a two-point game. So, um, 
he did suffer a rib injury somewhere in that game uh, in Pittsburgh and and was rested a, a, a lot. Um, he's, he'll be on the injury report. They didn't practice today, and the coach said that you know he wants to see him at practice tomorrow. Uh, the coach did say that uh, anybody who's able to play will play in this game. Now, they have a lot of players dinged up, and that includes Chubb, Kareem Hunt, maybe even Miles Garrett. So there may be some guys sitting out, but it won't be, uh, you know, just to, to, to hang it up. It, it will be because of injuries. So at this point, if, if you're projecting to the draft – and I know it's a, it's a quick projection, uh, but what do you think? I guess, I guess before I get to that, what about guys like J.C. Treader who battles that knee injury, you know, every single day basically of his football career? Do you think guys like Treader and some guys that you say are on the injury list, they probably won't play, they won't uh, try to extend and, and take a risk on damaging these guys anymore? Yeah, Treader's such a warrior, you know that, Dave. I, I, I think he'll play. He's, he's yeah. always on the injury report, but he always shows up. He had, he, he had five, uh, four years of consecutive snaps, um, snapped streak uh, by COVID, uh, not because of his knee. So he'll, I would think he would play. Uh, you know, the guys I mentioned, I think, are very questionable in my mind, and and also a guy like Troy Hill, their nickelback. Guys who are on the have been on the injury report for several weeks, um, and that includes Garrett. Um, but we'll see. He might want to – he's a, he's a, you know, a, a sack fiend. He wants to collect as many sacks as possible, so he might, he might uh, uh, decide to play. Yeah, and now that uh, Watts got, what, 21 and a half, I guess he wants to try to close that uh... – Close that gap a little yeah, bit. Good luck. I mean, yeah, good luck is right. Um, what about the draft? I mean, where do you think the priorities are for the Cleveland Browns in free agency and the draft? Where do you think they need to address first and foremost? Well, they don't have anything resembling any of the Bengals receivers. So I, I think receiver is going to be a high priority, and I, I, I do think they want to find one in the draft not in free agency they'll be sitting somewhere in the middle maybe you know in the low teens in the draft uh, i don't know they could even get into the top 10 if, if things work out that way so uh, that's right in good position to take one of the best receivers there's two kids from ohio state they're very familiar with uh so i would i would say receiver first in the draft um they have some contract situations that they're going to have to sort out, and uh, two of their defensive ends were signed to one-year contracts, uh, Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley, who's out with an Achilles rupture, so he's not going to be back. But um, I don't know what they'll do with Clowney. I do think they want him back, but Clowney might, you know, seek the highest deal. And eventually they have to groom a young defensive end pass rusher, so I think that's another position right up there in their priority list. I look at this Cleveland Browns defense, and, I, and, and it's a good group. I mean, there, there's talent on that defensive uh, football team. And then I look at the fourth quarter, and they gave up 124 points on the season. By far, their worst quarter of points scored against them. Why do you think, what happened in the fourth quarter of this defensive football team so many times this season, do you think? 
Yeah, and at the same time, they scored their fewest points in the fourth quarter. Um, So that was some of it was the offense just giving the ball right back. That was some of it. And a lot of those points, I believe, was in the first half of the season. You know, this defense had like seven new starters, eight new starters to begin the year. It took a while, uh, but uh, by the time they got to Cincinnati, uh, they were playing really well. And there was – there was only one hiccup after that game, and that was against New England, uh, where they gave up a lot of points. But other than that, the last eight or nine games, uh, they played. They, their point totals were down considerably, third down conversions, and everything. So I'd say most of that fourth quarter stuff happened when they were still trying to mesh, and they were they were a little discombobulated. But but they got it together, and they'll go into next season thinking that that now the strength of the team. Sunday's game starts at 1 o'clock, and since the Bengals are expected to rest Joe Burrow and many starters, Cleveland is currently a six-point favorite. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.